Yes, hello there and welcome to Join Up Darts. This is an archive show, which means that I'm not here at the moment, but it's, it's all pre-recorded. But it does give you just a glimpse of what's been happening on the iTunes number one business entrepreneur show since we launched. Now, this show is different and you'll hear laughter, tears, shocking stories, real life turmoil, and of course, the kind of success blueprint that will change your life forever. If you want the dream life, then all the answers are here. Now, these are the old episodes, so to get right up to date listening to the latest stuff, then simply search Join Up Dots, click subscribe, and never miss an episode again. And of course, over at joinupdots.com, you can get instant access to our free 12-day podcasting course or loads of amazing free downloads to kickstart your own entrepreneurial journey, all made by my own fair hand. So let's get on with the show. You've got a lot of catching up to do after all. Enjoy. When we're young, we have an amazing, positive outlook about how great life is going to be. But somewhere along the line, we forget to dream and end up settling. Join Up Dots features amazing people who refuse to give up and chose to go after their dreams. This is your blueprint for greatness. So here's your host, live from the back of his garden in the UK, David Ralph. Yes, hello there listeners of Join Up Dots in your thousands, in your millions, well no, not millions yet, but it's it's getting that way. I don't know if you know, why would you know, so I'm going to share with you. As we were recording today, we hit number two in iTunes, didn't quite make the number one, but certainly that is only down to you guys who are listening in your droves, sharing and leaving those all important reviews on iTunes. Now I don't ask many times because it's one of those cheesy things that other people's shows do but for the people that have been leaving the reviews and the five-star reviews I know it's down to you guys that has pushed us up to the top so thank you so much for that and thank you so much to today's guest because he is going to deliver a powerhouse performance because we've already been chatting just before we started recording and I'll be honest I like him very much he's English he's got an English approach to him and his middle name is Maxi. I'll be honest, I'm not sure if this was from birth or he added it later, but it certainly fits extremely well in regards to his approach to life. He believes that we all have it in us to live our lives to the max, and it's not our situations, income, lifestyles, or anything else that holds us back other than quite simply ourselves. He qualified as a certified clinical hypnotherapist and worked for many years providing solutions-orientated guidance for weight loss, smoking, and the elimination of phobias. Now, his goal is to encourage clients to adapt and improve all aspects of their lives by understanding the vital role the mind plays in all our lives. And it's not just individuals where his talents as a mind coach come to the fore as he works with companies, organizations and individuals from his various experience as a business owner, sports coach, trainer, sales manager and therapist. He knows what they are going through. He's the author of Escape the Mind Trap, How to Conquer Your Inner Demons and can dig down past the stumbling blocks and self-limiting beliefs that hold us all back and actually find the fears and anxieties that actually create the things that we think are holding us back. Get rid of them and see your life change. So how has he managed to overcome the fears and concerns that stop the rest of us? in our tracks and does he see the same issues time and time again and can he help us all and join up dots make a step forward in our own pursuit of success well let's find out as we bring onto the show to start joining up dots for one and only mr ian maxi jackson how are you ian happy relaxed and glad to be doing the show 
Are you drunk, Ian? Because it, it, it's, it's like eight o'clock in the evening on a Thursday. You've probably been at work all day. Have you already been down the pub already? Uh, not a big drinker, to be honest, David. Uh, I won't say that I never drink, but uh, I probably have less than ooh, 10 to 12 units a year. So, uh, You're an no, Englishman. Um, How do you get away <laughs> with that? I, I, I tell you, it's not always easy. But uh, yeah, I, I used to drink a little bit more when I was younger, but I was always a bit of a lightweight. So uh, yeah, it's not a big part of my life, to be honest. No, just, I, uh, just in a good space, just in a happy mood. So that's all good. Can I be honest with you? I'm, mm. a, I'm a bit of a lightweight as well. I, it's taken me years to actually embrace the fact that I'm a lightweight, where now I drink as much in, in a month as I used to drink in a lunchtime. And yes. it's getting less and less and less and less. I like something that I know my American audience don't know what it is, but us English people adore it. I like a nice shandy. What about you? Uh, a couple in the summer on a, on a hot day, uh, on, a, on a very hot day. And if I've had some, been on a long cycle ride or had some exercise uh, as a little treat, yeah, and to bring down memories of my youth, I'll, I'll have a shandy. But, but very, very rarely. You can't beat a shandy, can you? Really, can you? It's it's the ultimate. It's one of those drinks that when you drink it, you kind of go, oh, yes, that but hits the I, spot. I'm not sure we're supposed to admit that publicly, but we just have. So, yeah, I agree with you. Absolutely. So let, let's cut to the chase then. Is Maxi your sort of actual name or is it something that you have creatively added because it puts that extra spark into your professional life? It has been creatively added. Uh, it is. It was actually a nickname. I've had it now for all about 12, 14 years. And uh, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, just disc- somebody described me as somebody who likes to do things to the max, live life to the max. And uh, I thought it was rather twee and rather quaint. And uh, it got put in, in the middle. Uh, and it's quite good. You know, if somebody Googles me, they Google Ian Maxie Jackson. They're more likely to find me. If they Google Ian Jackson, they'll find 40, 50 different varieties of Ian Jackson. So it works well. And is it deed pole? Have you actually changed it officially? Not yet. I will do, but I haven't done that yet. Because so. I, I know a lady who changed her middle name to Skywalker. And it, it worked all right for quite a while. And she's just recently had problems with getting a passport. She's got a driving license that says it. And um, everything on her sort of official documentation says Skywalker, except for, I think it was her passport. And now she can't leave the country because she's a Jedi. Well, I also, uh, I heard a similar story uh, from somebody I met very briefly, whose friend was so embarrassed about his first name. He was Italian and it made it, it, it sounded like it was a, a female's name, not a male's name. So he was determined to change it, changed it by deed poll and changed it to Wild Horse. And he liked people to refer to him as Wild Horse. And that was his official name. Oh, I'd love a name like that. <laughs> I'll throw it out to you, audience. Email me or tweet your suggestions for my name. But it's got to be it's got to be manly and tough like Wild Horse. That's good, isn't it? I don't want to be called Small Hamster or something like that. Wild Horse. David Rugged Ralph. It's got a ring to it. That works, doesn't it? Yeah, that that works. You see, you're, you're changing me in. You're bringing me to the max instantly. So, exactly. So how, how do you, because I'm always fascinated by people that teach us to overcome their fears. How do you overcome your own fears to begin with? How, how Is it something that you just naturally do because you train to do it for others? Or is it something that you can do for others, but you still have the same fears yourself? I think uh, I think the truth of the matter is that uh, fear isn't something that you completely overcome. It's not something that leaves you. Uh, you know, fear is a 
recurring theme in, in people's lives. Uh, not necessarily always the same fear. Uh, people can either defeat or, or manage um, some of their fears to, to a greater or lesser extent. Um, but but, but the fears, fears for most people, for the majority of people, um, are, are going to be a recurrent theme. Uh, in terms of how I've I've managed to overcome my own, <laughs> contradict myself slightly there, but to manage my own fears is 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 just by what I recommend in the second part of the book um, is exposure. Uh, I mean, uh, do you have a concept of what fear is? A lot of people talk about fear, but don't really know what they mean by fear. Well, I, I'm not scared of anything that can't kill me. This, this is my thing. You know, if somebody mm. says to you, you know, I, I'm scared of a spider, I don't get yes. that at all because I think unless I'm in a jungle somewhere, what's going to hurt mm. me? But if somebody mm. says I'm scared of sharks, I would think, yeah, you, you, you're quite right to be scared of sharks because it could actually eat you. So that that's where I kind of balance mine. Is it going to kill me or not? Yeah. And absolutely. And I think that's a, that's a good uh, marker to have. Um, but the question really is, and I'm not, I'm not pointedly saying it to you, but also to, to, to members, of people that might be listening, is what do we mean by fear? What is fear? And, you know, there could be many, many descriptions and people have, uh, you know, they have the old adage of false evidence appearing real and all those types of things. But that's not specifically what fear is. Fear specifically is um, an emotional response to a perceived threat. So when we think about that, uh, you have to you have to say to yourself, well, the important word in that phrase is perceived. If you perceive it as a threat, uh, then and, uh, you understand that it's your perception, not the actual reality of the thing that's creating fear. Then you have to challenge that perception. And the way to do that, and the way that uh, top psychologists have talked about it, is that you have to expose yourself to that fear. Now that doesn't mean that you have to jump in with two feet. And, you know, say if you're frightened of appearing in front of an audience or public speaking, you have to go from never having done a public speaking session to talking in front of a crowd of a thousand people. But what it may mean is just do a little presentation for two people. Expose yourself to that fear and then see whether it's actually, it, is there a threat? What is the threat? Or is it purely your perception? It's just a perceived threat, not a real threat. Most of the things that we have fears about are imaginary threats, not not real threats. So that's what I try and apply in my own life, and that's 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 how I I do it in my own life. And sometimes it works quickly, sometimes it works more slowly. It is fascinating when you you talk about perceived threats because this show is very much about encouraging people to shake off their shackles and move forward in their lives. If you're stuck in a rut and you don't like your situation, then try to change it. And mm. so many people will email me and they will say, "Yeah, even though I I started to feel this 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 urge to do it." on episode 30 we're now up to episode 190 and i still haven't quite got it it's getting more it's getting more it's getting more and mm. they they hold themselves back even though they desperately know in the heart of the hearts that there's nothing to be scared about which is it's strange really isn't it why, why we do this yeah i i think um one of the things that I mentioned in the in the book is that I'm not a great believer in the in the magic pill or the magic bullet or, or the you know that change can happen in a heartbeat. 
it, it's not it's not my philosophy and and the reason it's not my philosophy is i think that you can make radical decisions i think you can make big choices and 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 determine that you want to change direction i think that can be done in an instant or in a very short period of time uh, or it may come uh, through a source of inspiration on one of your shows through a book that somebody reads whatever it happens to be and you you reach that point you say enough is enough things have got to change but here's my point is that the habits and the the, the William James said um, li life is a mess of habits it, it's that that's what you that's what most of us are we are the things that we repeatedly do and that doesn't go away overnight and and i believe that uh, even though you can have a, a moment of decision a moment a pivotal moment where you decide that things have got to be different things have got to change the actual change is is a process and it it takes longer than the, the, than a day or a week for it to be um meaningful long-lasting and significant change it's a process and it takes a period of time so, so why do some people seem to be able to be fearless and you see like the movers and shakers and the ziggers and zaggers and they're doing stuff that for mere mortals like the rest of us we kind of think oh my god you know how they managed to do that because we all start as babies don't we and we mm. we grow up and, and we die at the end of it and we're all exactly the same so it's just a series of choices that we've made um it, it, is it as simple as those choices or is there you know is it lifestyle is it peer group is it parents i know this is quite a deep and probably overarching question that i'm saying but it, it always makes me wonder why some people seem to be able to deal with this kind of thing and other people will just look at them dealing with it and not move themselves i my belief is that uh fear is 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 reasonably innate in human beings there's certain things that we're always going to be fearful of and the the great and the good uh, and the gurus and all these people that we talk of i think it's a nonsense to say that they don't have fear i, I think everybody has fear in, in in various different elements what i think that happens uh, the reason that they seem a million miles away from from the common man in the street is that they uh, the answer to your question is that they practiced managing the fear and for most of them it's it's practiced and it's managed on a on a daily basis so one of the things that i've done in my in, in in the past is i used to coach tennis um and an example that i would point to for people is is you know a wimbledon champion and i don't know if you're a tennis fan or, or your listeners are necessarily tennis fans but normally what happens even when they get to the wimbledon final even when somebody's a, a world number one the interviewer will will ask the player, you know, how are you feel. Are you nervous? You know, nervous is is could be argued as a type of fear. You know, you're you're slight, you, you're unsure of the outcome. But even the top players in the world, they have a fear. They they they're scared to serve for match point. The, the fear's there. But what have they done? They they've played so many matches throughout their lives. They've practiced managing that fear. And what a lot of tennis players do, especially the top ones, is they they have rituals. They have, a, they have a process that they know that they go through. So when the fear props up, they know exactly what to do to manage themselves through that process. So the idea that the, the, the great and the good don't have fear, personally, I, I feel that's nonsense. Well, I, I think it's nonsense too because I speak to people on a daily basis that we put out on this show and we mm. realise that they've got their success by 
stumbles and falls, trials and tribulations, and they've moved through. And I agree totally with you that mm. there's different degrees of scared. And whatever you do in life, if you are moving forward, you're going into a new area. And that yes. is where you feel scared. You know, I, I can do a show where I start off all comfortable. Well, actually, I'll be totally honest. Every show I do... When I'm just about to press record, I think to myself, right, okay, let's get going, let's get going. And I feel like butterflies and stuff, which is like the anticipation. And I think that's a good thing to have because that keeps yes. you slightly on edge. And as soon as I get to the point that I haven't got that and I'm so matter of fact, I think something will lose its, itself, that a spark will go out somewhere. But I can then be quite comfortable doing a show. And then suddenly it dawns on me I'm comfortable. And then suddenly the fear comes up which basically is sort of saying to me hang on hang on are you, are you going through the motions here have you just relaxed too much get yourself mm. back up and going so i i feel fear through all the shows and since we've been recording for about quarter of an hour i've probably felt it three or four times when you've been talking and i've been thinking right what's the next question to ask and is it going to be a sensible one and no i've got a better question here because that one wasn't as good and all that kind of stuff so it is when when you manage the fear, it does raise your game, doesn't it? It's got to be. It's, it's got to yeah. be something that you have in your body to make you perform to a higher level. First of all, I, I agree, and and it's and the only way to do it. And this is again going back to to what I said earlier is exposure. Now, what do I mean with that? Uh, well, exposure means to experiment with the unknown. So this is what episode is this? That how many of these have you done now? Well, you're 190. 190. We've done about 210 now. So, yeah, 190, 210. So you've had 210 hours, roughly, mm. of, of practice, of, of having that fear come up, managing it. So, you, you know, you've, you've experimented with the unknown, and, and, and only by experimenting with the unknown does the unknown become known. And you, you know how to manage yourself through that, maybe not perfectly, but you don't need to know how to do it perfectly. And you know the back of your mind subconsciously are going well is this the best question it should i be answering this and it's like well in the past what i did was i asked it anyway and actually once i asked the question nobody died i mean really the the, the one of the biggest antidotes to fear is what is the worst that can happen what is the worst that can happen now there are some things where you know if you come across a poisonous snake snake in, in in the jungle or whatever or in the in the grass well the worst that can happen is that, that that you may die from this experience but the vast majority of things that we get fearful of now in in a modern age are really ridiculous i mean the things that we're fearing are a loss of face and embarrassment and actually in the larger context they make no sense um another another thing i'd like to put in perspective is that uh we have, humans have dual needs in, in so many different ways. So when you think, I believe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you, you have a fairly young child, is that correct? I have five children. Five children, wow. Okay, so how, how, old, how old's the youngest? At the, moment? Uh, the youngest is nine and the oldest is 34, I think. Oh, okay, okay. So remembering back to when they were slightly younger. So when they're kind of at toddler stage, um, one-year-old, one-and-a-half, two, that kind of age. You will, if you remember back, they have a, a completely dual need. I mean, in the early stages, in the first year of their life, maybe 18 months, they have a, a massive need for security. So uh, as, as every uh, parent will know, the child is always scanning to see whether mother is in the room, mm. whether mother is available. It's a security thing. 
but we can't live our whole lives based on on security and comfort and and toddlers know this it's part of their their growth so at some point usually somewhere around the 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 age two mark curiosity comes into play once they can crawl and once they can walk and once they can start being curious they want to explore so we have a need for security in the sense of safety because if we're unsafe we risk death but we also need to explore because if we don't grow we actually by definition become more unsafe because you have to you have to learn skills you have to build strength you have to explore you have to be curious and that goes throughout the whole of life we have dual needs which are slightly polarized one is to be safe and the other is to explore and and, and that's the battle that that's what we're playing with in life you know how much can i risk in this moment can i risk this question can i risk the potential embarrassment that you know the lack of safety or do i need to claw back and for those people that want to stay comfortable and safe all their lives they never really hit the heights that they want to and those two people that are, are way too cavalier may you know may overdo it may jump off the cliff and you know that's the end of it and it's it's the, the challenge and the, and the fascination is finding that balance between security and exploration well we we talk to people as i say every single day and one of the things that we promote to the listeners is that if you want to change your situation you have to become more aware of what's out there and that's exactly what you're saying you have to become curious and so if mm-hmm. you're in a situation that is pretty poor to say the least you're in a job that you don't like one of the kind of normal traits is to go i'm leaving this job and pretty much go to another job you're, you're in a an insurance company for example you don't like working for that company so you leave and you get another job in an insurance company where Mm. by definition it's going to be pretty similar so you will be dealing with the same problems what i found is the most successful people are the ones that are willing to look at other people's situations and see where they can actually go so they're in that insurance company and I'm sort of quoting myself here, really. And mm. they start looking around on the internet and they start listening to podcasts and they're reading blogs and they're seeing other things. And if you look at enough, then one of them will probably go, this could be it. I think I could just about do this. And then with the yes. practice, you can then start moving forward into a different situation. But you're never going to get there unless you are aware, unless you're curious, unless you look around. Because people are doing amazing things in the world, aren't they? And you, you hear these stories and you talk to them and they're just like normal people. And you kind of think, how have you managed this? That you're living on a desert island with a laptop and you're running these multinational companies and all that kind of stuff. When I'm stuck at my desk nine to five in an office that I don't like, how have you managed it? And they've managed it by being curious and pushing against their comfort zone all the time exactly and, I, and again going, going back to something that I, I talk about in the book i talk it right near the end of the book i talk about um a shift that you know there's many changes in life which are which are incremental small step by step uh, but at certain points in our life we we have a complete shift so things move you know, it's like a quantum leap. It's a big change. Something very significant happens. Now, the problem is, is a lot of people um, base their evidence on their past experience. So they've always, as in your example, always worked in insurance. The only model they have, if they look inwardly, is is their experience. They've never earned a huge salary. Uh, they've never done the exciting, different lifestyle. That they've never broken free. And they, and so all their reference points are are internal. 
And and very much I 100% agree with you. What what needs to happen is if you don't have a model within your own world from your own environment, then seek out those models, seek out those stories. Uh, and there's some really inspirational people out there. And and you're 100% right. The the amazing thing is is that we I don't know whether it's a particularly English thing. I don't know whether it happens in other parts of the world, but we do tend to put successful people on this pedestal. I mean, I've been lucky enough in my lifetime to to meet a variety of people. Uh, uh, I had a girlfriend many years ago who was in the film industry, and I met one or two A-listers, and I met you know a handful of B-listers. And you spend time with these people, and you think, oh my God, they're real. They're mm. real people. Mm. You know, they have real concerns. They have to go about their their everyday life. And uh, I was also a few years ago, I was a personal trainer, an investment bank. And these are people that uh, quite literally are earning or, or are worth tens of millions of pounds. Not all of them, but some of them, you know, tens of millions. Now, for most people, that's not a figure that, that, that registers on, on, you know, in their brains. But and I remember the first few times that I got to know them and I was training them. And I was thinking, this guy's worth or this lady's worth an absolute fortune. But they have to do all most of the things that everybody else has to do. They have to get through their day and they have little concerns. How are their children doing at school? You know, what are they going to eat at the weekend? You know, I'm not saying that they're identical, but they're incredibly normal people. And sometimes they're, they're bright, but sometimes you think, well, actually, this person isn't the most intelligent person I've ever met. They're nice, I like them, but they have their faults and they have their, their quirks. And, and everybody does, you know, and, and even, even to the extent that I've met um, in my t- many years ago, I worked at a place called Bisham Abbey, which is a national sports centre. And an I mean, England uh, team used to go in. You, England, yeah. Well, I don't think they do anymore. But back when I was there, which was in the late nineties, certainly they used to train there. And again, you—I didn't spend massive amounts of time with these people, but I met them. I met them in passing. And again, it's like they're flesh and blood. They're real. They're human. You know, they have to deal with a lot of the same things that we will have to deal with. They just focused and dedicated themselves to a certain arena, used their abilities, you know, and, and, and learned and had role models in their lives and found a way to raise the level that they wanted to get to. So, so with our target audience, our listeners out there, and they've, they've got their headphones on and they're sitting at work or they're on the bus or they're on the train going to work, and they want to change their life. And we've already discussed that there are a certain amount of fears that are in all of us and we have to overcome. But it also seems to me that the fears are amplified because we like to see the, the, the highlights of these successful people's lives. And we look at them and we see them on the red carpet or we see them doing whatever they are and we just kind of think it's easy it's just easy they've got some kind of quality they've got some trait that makes it easy for them and Mm. what's the point of me doing that it's never going to work because they are different than us and what you're quite rightly saying is they're not different at all they've just taken different choices and they've just focused and they've worked a very hard on a certain thing i was i was having a chat with um a, a chap the other day and he is a bafta winner and he was mm-hmm. at the baftas and he was um standing in the toilet just about to go on and there was a chap next to him literally shaking he said and he turned mm. around and said you, you know you're right and he was going oh no i don't don't think i should be here it's not really me i, I don't feel very comfortable and it turned out to be ll cool j and wow. um, he was sort of saying, you know, but you're LL culture. You should be really relaxed. And he was scared because it wasn't his environment to be in. 
It, it wasn't mm. where he was supposed to be comfortable. But we would just kind of think in that regard, okay, you're successful, you're a rapper, you're this and you're that, you should be able to deal with all situations. But he was psyching himself up to go. But then when he walks on the stage, he's kind of conquered those fears, as you say. He's moved on. Mm. But we don't see the behind the scenes, do we? We just think it's okay for them. I think I think the, the little chatter that people have in their head um, causes themselves to it doesn't matter you know what level you reach in life there's always the little voices is fairly constant in most people's lives it's always going to question you know uh, the, the, the question two or three of the questions that go through most people's minds most days of their life is you know uh, am i worthy am i worthy of, of whatever it is am i worthy to be manager am i worthy to be a father am i worthy to be an international pop star you know am i worthy and of course you're worthy you know, am I good enough? Um, is this it? Is, is this what it's supposed to be? And these, I, I think these are fairly universal questions. I don't think they're just for, you know, the average guy guy in the street. I think it, it's some. These are questions that are going to come into the, you know, the great and the good are going to have the same questions running through their head. They don't go away. I, I, I don't think there's a point where people reach where suddenly all this stuff just disappears. I think the key is is to find ways to manage it. Knowing that these questions, that you know, the doubts, the insecurities, these things, to a different extent and to a different degree, are going to raise whatever you're doing in life. They're, they're going to be there. You're going to question yourself, um, and it doesn't matter what level you you attain; th- those those doubts and those fears, to some level, will still remain. I mean, the, the classic example, and it, it may be something you've discussed with previous people you've had on your show. You know, however many weeks ago it was Robin Williams. Mm. top of his game you know revered wonderful guy but still a big part of what happened to him was was just that kind of doubt about you know who am i is this is this it is this what i should be doing what what happens from here and and it got to him unfortunately sadly in the end so it doesn't disappear and and so i think that another aspect that i talk about in the book is is process and and people being way more focused on process and, and how they manage their mind, how they manage the, you know, the, the negativity that may come up and not seeing it as an all or nothing equation. Not that, uh, that I think the phrase you used earlier was to overcome. That you, you're not going to overcome fear. It's, it's always, there's always going to be an element of it in life. It's how do I manage through fear? How do I manage through doubts? How do I manage through these experiences? And get good at it and practice it and learn from how other people do it. I think that's far more valuable. It's, you know, um, you, you're teaching the skill of, of, of managing through those experiences rather than, than thinking that you're going to defeat it forever. Well, let, let's talk about that because the, the process mm. fascinates me. But I'm, I'm going to play mm. the motivational speech from Jim Carey now because this is kind of a nice segue into making that transition and dealing okay. with the things that frighten you the most. This is Jim Carey. My father could have been a great comedian, but he didn't believe that that was possible for him. And so he made a conservative choice. Instead, he got a safe job as an accountant. And when I was 12 years old, he was let go from that safe job. And our family had to do whatever we could to survive. I learned many great lessons from my father, not the least of which was that you can fail at what you don't want. So you might as well take a chance on doing what you love. So if people find the thing that they love, as Jim is saying in there, 
does that make it easier or does it make it harder because there's so much more for them to lose because it's something that they really, really want? I, I don't honestly know if I know the exact answer to that. Um, I personally have always struggled with finding the thing that I love. Um, I think there's people out there that, that, that have an inner knowing and they, and, and they just kind of know. Did you not uh, love what you're doing at the moment then? I, I, I absolutely I do. Absolutely I do. But um, I've, I've always craved variety in my life. I've always craved new experiences. I'm, you know, for want of a better word, I'm a creative. I, I like new things. I like new projects. I like new stuff. And uh, my one of my big purposes in life is is to get people to understand how the mind works and 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 have a really deep understanding of that. And that is a big passion for me, and it is a love for me. But uh, you know, it took me many years to find that out. But I, I think there's a lot of people, or there may be a lot of people listening who think, well, I don't know. I don't know that there is something that that I, the one thing that I love. There obviously are people that love acting that's all they ever want to do with their life or they love writing you know jk rowling born to write and would write at every opportunity but i think there's a possibility that there's people out there that think well actually i love more than one thing you know I, I actually get a kick out of this and i get a kick out of that i love my music and i love you know uh, for example I, I i'm fascinated by the mind and it's something that i'm always happy to talk about and, and it excites me every time i talk about it but it's not my only love there's things that i love with an equal passion. I love nature. I love being out in nature. If, if, if you deprive me of nature, you know, you starve my soul. <laughs> so do I love talking and discussing and learning and exploring the mind? Or do I love nature more? I love them both equally. But I think there's a people out there that say, no, that's, that's it. That's what I love. That's what I was born to do. And that's what I'm always going to do. But, but would now, you be able to think of a way of earning an income out of nature? Because that, that's the thing that people struggle with, I think, is we always talk about find your passion. Find your passion and you'll never work again. And people mm -hmm. are trying to find that thing. And a lot of the time you find it and you kind of know it. And one of the things that has come out in this show time and time again is the things that you, you generally you're passionate in is the things that you were doing when you was a small child. So I imagine yes. as a small child, you love nature. And yes. as a small child, you Absolutely. were fascinated with the way people tick. But then you kind yes. of go through the education system and you forget somewhat. And you get into responsibilities and you go and get a job just because it's a job and you start going on a path which isn't naturally yours. So when we sort of connect our past to build our future which is the tagline one of the things that we say is look at what you do as a youngster and yes. a lot of people will say to me i used to love doing that i used to love doing this but it's mm -hmm. then how you structure it to make money that's the yes. hard bit you seem to be able to find your passion reasonably easy but actually then overcoming the beliefs that oh i can't make money on this because it's something that i like work has to be hard and all those kind of things i'm, I'm sure Different people have different views in terms of what order it should come in, um, but I, I would argue that you 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 live you live your passion first, and and you you pursue your passion, your passions plural or your loves plural in my case, and 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 then you put it together and and you find out how you by following your passion how you can find solutions. You know you know the the, the big cliche is it's about finding solutions for other people's problems. Uh, and 
you're right. I love nature. I love reading. I love cycling. These are all, and you're right. Again, these are all things that I absolutely adored in, in my childhood and have stayed with me. Um, and I don't even think it was conscious. But the the one that makes the most sense in terms of, of generating an income is 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 finding solutions and helping people with with problems related to how they manage their mind. Um, but I would, and I'm sure uh, other speakers or uh, people you've spoken to would say the same thing. It's something I would do anyway if I got paid nothing and and somebody wanted to talk and 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 move through challenges they had psychologically. I would do it anyway. And and I think the people that love what they do, that, that then that's what they're going to do. I love doing what I'm doing now, and I, yes. I've, I've worked for many companies, and there has been part of the job that I enjoyed doing, but I mm. don't think I've ever loved doing it like I love doing this. I am mm. loving talking to you, and I will be loving talking to the next person and the next person. And mm. at the moment, I can't perceive a time when that's going to diminish to be able to actually tap into these people and find their experiences and understand the struggles i just feel like this is something that i was born to do and mm. i do i love it love it love it love it and for many many months when i was getting this show going i wasn't earning a penny on it i was just basically doing it but i was exactly. still running up the office every single day thinking ah oh, i've got another seven today you know because it's just fascinating to me to have these these moments when it's just you and me and we are chatting and ultimately it's going to go out as a show but that mm. isn't part of my remit when i'm doing it really i keep a kind of vague realization that i need to provide to the listener but ultimately, it's a kind of very selfish thing. I am fascinated what what, what you're talking about. Mm. Well, I, I, again, going back to a world that I know, and apologies for, for any of your listeners that aren't uh, sports fans or sports fanatics, but hopefully they'll understand the concept. I genuinely believe you, you, you take the top golfers, the top tennis players, the top snooker players or American football players, whatever, baseball players, they're going to they're gonna do that thing. They're not thinking. I genuinely don't think that... Uh, uh, Rory McIlroy, for example, is 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 the world number one golfer. He, he, it'd be easy to say, well, he doesn't care about the money because he got lots of it, but he's not pursuing the money. He's doing it because it is his passion. And you're right, you did this show. You may not have known with all certainty whether it was going to come good for you and it was going to become a money spinner for you, but you have to follow your heart a little bit. You know, I am a bit of a an idealist, a bit of a dreamer in that respect. If you're not doing the, the things that that you want to do or the things that you love. Then, then why are you doing it? Uh, I know a question. I, I did try and prep a little bit for for this show, and one of the things that you ask uh, a lot of people is, you know, what are you doing now? What are you up to? And and my answer to that is, well, I spend most of my term doing things that I love, the things that we've talked about. You know, I actively go out and walk in nature every single day, two or three hours a day sometimes, because I love it. You know, I base my daily life now around doing things that I know I love, and then. You can find it, but I wouldn't be too contrived in, in, in finding a bridge between what you love and, and, and the income, as you call it, or, the, or whatever. It's just do that first. Seek the passion first. Find the love. Find, find what, you know, rocks your boat, sets you on fire. Find that first and then keep pursuing it and, and, and then, to use your phrase, join up the dots and find a way to make it work for you. Um, but I... I Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe I'm not. But I, if J.K. Rowling wasn't now a billionaire, if she was still a, a struggling artist, I think she'd still be writing books all these years later. 
because that's what she always did. It was, you know, it was in her DNA. I, I would. Uh, I think it's episode one six seven, um, which is a gentleman called Peter Stewart Smith. I'm just scrolling back to see if it was. Uh, yeah, Peter Stewart Smith, and he is an author. And he was telling me that there's a chap who is somewhere in England, and he's now in the Guinness Book of Records because mm. he has written more things that have never been published than anyone else on earth and he's basically mm. written every single day since he was a small boy to his 80s or whatever and not one piece has ever been published and mm. you kind of think to himself well i kind of said well he's not a failure because he's in the guinness book of records you know i'm talking about him mm. now so he's, he's left his mark somehow but the fact that he's still doing it doing it doing it and never really expects to get paid that says a lot about the human state doesn't it well, I think uh, a very obvious example of what you're talking about there is, as we say in England, Vincent van Gogh. Mm. And as, as they say in the States, Vincent van Gogh. You know, um, if you measured his life by his bank account by the time he died, <laughs> by all accounts, he was a failure. Well, why, why is it, though? Why is it that <laughs> the real creative people are willing mm. to do something for absolutely no monetary rewards and more often than not they don't get any monetary rewards but they're still willing to do it time and time and time again it, it seems strange as i'm talking to you now that we're talking about finding your path creating a passion building an income based around it but mm. the real uber successful people like vincent van gogh as you were saying that didn't come into their equation at all it was no. just it was just doing it. And I, I imagine with him, he just had a room of them. And, and that, that was it. You know, it was just the fact that he loved doing it and he didn't care about money. Well, let's, let's reverse this around. Let, let, let's flip it around a little bit. You know, I, I had the opportunity, as I said, to work um, as a personal trainer within an investment bank and, and let people put aside, you know, whether they, they feel positively or negatively about investment banks. It's not really a discussion about that. But I met two different types when I was there, two very different types. Those that that absolutely loved the world of banking. They, they, they truly did, and they made a huge amount of money because they were excited to be, for whatever reason, to go into that environment at the beginning of the day, and, and that was their passion. And I met other people who actually managed to climb the tree and were earning an awful lot of money and pretty much hated every minute that they were there. And that's when you realize that the, you know, people, some people have got the order wrong. You know, I've seen, I've, I've, as I'm sure you have, and as many other people will have done, I've seen a lot of people who are worth a lot of money and have found really great ways to generate big incomes, and they're not very happy. And they're not doing what they love. And they're not passionate. So rather find things that you love that you're passionate about, that that you that feel authentically you. You know, oh, what that's I it, isn't it? That is it. The authentically you bit. Yeah, you, you know, one of, one of the, you know, you talk about joining up the dots and and ha the things that you learn as as life goes on as you get a little bit older, and one of them is just allow yourself to be more authentic. Just allow yourself to to be the person that you know you are deep down inside, and I don't think that's you know, fluffy or anything else. We all have different roles. We all have a, a reason to be here. Um, one, one of the big experiences that I've had in my life, massive 
you know, life-changing experiences is that I went on uh, something called a vision quest, actually with uh, somebody that you've interviewed previously, a guy called Jerry Hyde. Oh, yes. Yeah. 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 And you, you didn't uh, dig a grave and, and lay in it at night. I didn't know. We didn't go quite that far. I think I had the scaled down version, but I did sit under a tree in a 12 foot circle for four days. I laughed all the way through our interview. <laughs> he, he, he's got such a kind of dark side to his character. I, oh, I, it was very he, amusing. He's, he's a very amusing guy. Um, but, it, you know, it really challenged me and it really challenged me. But by the end of it, um, so you're, you're steeped in nature. For anybody that wasn't able to listen to that show, you're steeped in nature for four days and you're on your own, so you have no human contact. So for four whole days and you don't eat, you just, you just drink water, keep hydrated, and you're just left to your own devices and with your own thoughts. And many things changed for me, but one thing that I really got, because I was in an absolutely beautiful scenic location in a field of wildflowers in the middle of, right in the heart of the French countryside. It was absolutely idyllic. But I was steeped in nature for four days. And by the end of it, I just, nature just does its own thing. You know, the, the flowers are doing their own thing and the trees are doing their own thing. But they don't, they're not, obviously they don't have minds, but the flower isn't aspiring to be a tree. The tree isn't aspiring to be a blade of grass. You know, the, blade of, the, the, the flower isn't aspiring to be the mountainside. They just live completely into whatever it is they 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 were born to do and it was it was just a strong metaphor for me you know we talked earlier about you know how could how is it that some people become these incredibly successful multimillionaire actors or actresses or singers or it may be that that's not what you would you or i were designed to do you know it's just authentically what 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 is your calling authentically not because it would be great wouldn't it be great to earn the tens of millions but authentically what is your heart calling you to do? Follow that first and then find a way to make it pay. That would be my personal advice. When, you, when you're talking about nature, it, it's so obvious because it's all around us, isn't it? But mm. it is. Every single item is being purely authentic to itself. Yeah. And we're, yeah. we're about the only things that aren't. And it is. It's lunacy, really, that, you know, Ian Maxi Jackson can be the best version of Ian Maxi Jackson than anyone on Earth because it's him. But more often than not, and I've done it myself, I've gone into careers and because of the vibe and I'm doing those little quotey things with my fingers mm. in offices, I've kind of played a role because i felt mm. that's what was expected of me because that's how other people performed and when i became myself i used to get tarnished as being a maverick or or not too serious and i look back on it now and i think yeah that's exactly what i should have been doing all the time i should have been being myself but i wasn't i was being some kind of weird version that was kind of expected of me and somebody said to me the other day in and this really struck home as well and he was talking about nature and he said if you plant a tree in the ground that tree is going to be the biggest version that that tree can possibly be and yes. if you put a cheetah on the ground and you let it run, it will run as fast as that cheetah can go. But humans yes. are the only ones that will hold themselves back as well and be smaller versions of what they possibly could be. And that, Brilliant. when he was saying that to me, that was kind of, oh, my God, yes. You know, it, it was it, that was a mindset shift as well. Yes. Well, the, the first people to talk about it were Plato and Aristotle. <laughs> it goes that far back, you know. We And unfortunately, we've lost... We've lost touch with, you know, the lessons from nature. I don't want to get 
you know, to go too overboard on this, but it, it's very important in my life. And, and, and it's, it's a simple lesson and it's a very accessible lesson. It's a very, you know, hopefully for most people that even if they live in a town or a city, you know, take the time. If you haven't done it in the last month or six months or, or however long, make the effort to go out in nature and don't try and look for answers and solutions and lessons, but just absorb yourself in nature and, 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 and you'll just get it. It'll just kind of infuse into you. You just think, actually, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, one of the great things with, with, with spending time in nature is it's very, it is very honest. It is very truthful. I mean, with so much of, of the way that we live now is fabricated. You know, neon lights and shiny objects and, and and things that we don't need, things that are superfluous. But th there's a truth and an honesty in nature. And, and, and so when – and the reason I've harped on about this for a, a while is because – what I learned from nature is is what we've just discussed is authenticity, and I think that's a big lesson that people, that maybe your listeners will get if they if they take the time to to go and reimmerse themselves in the natural world. I agree with you. Be be authentic. It's so much easier being yourself, and yes, it is. It's beyond easy when when you realise that you are being totally who you should be. A lot of the stuff that I used to struggle with, I now don't do because mm. I look at it now and I think. I, I just couldn't really do that. That wasn't my strength. And now I'm pretty much constructed this around something that I can do. And hopefully I'm getting better at doing it as well. So my strengths are getting stronger. And sometimes I think to myself, I can't believe this is a job. This is just too much fun. Mm. But, but why shouldn't it be? And I suppose it kind of goes back to you, am I worth it? And all that kind of stuff. You, you then yes. have these doubts that come in, but I'm enjoying this so much. How can I, you know, how can I be paid for this? You know, there, there must be some person that's going to drag me off this stool in this microphone and say, you know, get back to the factory, whatever, because that's yes. what life should be. But I don't believe that is now. And, I, I, you know, I keep on saying that to all the listeners. Really listen to yourself and think about yourself and think about the things you used to love doing because the answer is there somehow. The answer is there. And you yeah. just need to be quiet and separate yourself from life. And it's, you know, it's not a surprise why all the, the uber successful people meditate and stuff. And that, that, that's been something that's been a surprise to me. I used to mm. think it was kind of weird, hocus pocus, yoga kind of sitting, levitating three feet off the ground. But now when I speak to these people and they all say, yeah, my first hour of the day is just quiet with no mobile phones and nothing. And you think, yes. You're just allowing yourself to make plans and decide what's right for you and just doing what's right, exactly as nature does. It's just quietly doing its thing until we notice it, I suppose. Yeah, I, I, I love that you've brought up meditation. And the big thing for me, so as a part of the second part of the book, when I talk and I said, you know, change is a process. If you want to make these breakthroughs, there's a process to it. And ironically enough, the very first step in that process is awareness and uh, bringing awareness to the fact that the vast majority of what people do is is just live out their their habits and their routines and their rituals, ones that were own many of them were erroneously chosen in their younger days, and they and they just repeat, 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 and it, and the the best way to break that cycle is to bring awareness to to understand that actually these things that I do on a day-to-day, week-by-week, month-to-month basis are just patterns and, and there's a certain inertia to it. And it and, and so people are living unconsciously, not really conscious of the they're not making choices, they're they're just 
performing the same rituals day in, day out. And awareness is, is the very first step to change that. And the best step towards awareness, uh, either meditation, for me, my background, hypnotherapy, self-hypnosis, that type of thing, or, or yoga. There's other avenues, there's other ways to it, but there, there would be three very key ways to introduce awareness into people's lives. I, I've stopped watching television. I, if, if I'm watching television, I can't focus on it anyway because my mind's thinking about other stuff. And if mm. I go into a room now, and I used to sort of go in the room, sit on the sofa and think, oh, what's on the telly, and just turn the television on. But now, more often than not, I would just sort of sit there. And my family used to come in and go, oh, what's the matter with you? And like it was kind of a bad thing that I was just sitting there quietly. But now they kind of walk in and they realize I'm just having a moment and I'm just sort of not even reflecting i don't know what i'm doing i'm just kind of sitting there quietly but it is so powerful and i'll, I'll be yes. sitting there not even thinking about anything and then suddenly something that i didn't even know that i was thinking about suddenly comes to me and i think yes that's what i should be doing and i've had huge mm. leaps certainly doing this where something that maybe my subconscious is is playing around with suddenly comes to the fore just because i'm allowing it to because i'm just quiet and i'm not thinking of anything and it is, it's almost like you've got that that kind of when you see somebody and you kind of vaguely yes i think i know their name and you can't quite place it and then you're just dropping off at night and then you suddenly go ian oh god that yes. was his name bang he's got and i'm finding that more and more just because i'm allowing myself to have that breathing space from from noise and computers and and all that kind of stuff well, it's something that challenges a lot of people. I'm not saying everybody, but it challenges a lot of people. You know, just look around. Uh, just look around at the people that you see and think, just watch them trying to fill the time, trying to constantly fill the space. And with what? But people, you know, television is one example, but, you know, it's kind of moved from there. I mean, be honest with yourself, uh, people, how many hours do you spend on social media? Why do we feel the need to fill this time, to fill these gaps? And uh, people have to pause. They have to pause between activities, allow themselves the space that you talked about, and allow awareness just to, to creep into their life. And they, you can't just do it as a one-off deal. You can't just go, you know what, I'm going to try on a bit of awareness tomorrow. Awareness has to be a practice. It has to become a skill. Now, whether you choose to, to meditate, spend time in nature... Uh, you know, choose hypnotherapy, yoga, or, or, or some other form, vehicle for that. You have to, and I mentioned this in the book, you have to find a way that awareness becomes something that you introduce on a, on a regular daily basis so that you can see what your mind is doing. You can see the chatter, you can hear the chatter, and you can just be more, uh, more conscious of what you're doing to yourself. I, I realized only sort of looking back i've been on this path for a while but mm. I've, I've, I've never had a mobile phone and i never wanted one and it was it, it was just a point really it got to the point where people were forcing one on me and if, if anyone forces stuff stuff on me i instantly push back it's just my character and yeah, when i was rebellious type sorry the rebellious type. The rebellious type. Yeah, I suppose that's true. And then when I was at work and I was saying, right, okay, you're, you're a senior manager. You need to have a mobile phone. I used to say, why? And I'd go, well, mm. what happens if we need you in the evening? I said, well, you can't get me. I'm, I'm not the mm. politician. I'm not the president of America. You know, once I've done my hours, it's my own time. So I used to push back, push back, push back. So I've never had, had a, a phone and I still haven't got one. And it used to annoy people a lot that they couldn't contact me. And then it made me realize that actually that's not my problem. My problem is 
well, their problem is that they can't contact me when they want it. It's not mm-hmm. my problem. But then I stopped wearing a watch as well because I used to think to myself, do I really need a watch? And there's always clocks everywhere and you can look on your computer and you can look on your phone and you can look wherever you want. There's a watch. So I stopped wearing a watch. And now I'm doing this. I realise that actually what I've been doing is moving myself to the point where my life, I would like, is that I swan up and I do the shows and I edit them and I push them out and then that's it done. And I'm mm. not involved in social media. I don't turn the computers on and I just live life and I just kind of, I'm just doing stuff and it's it's been something that i've realized now that i think i've started training myself to the point that i'm happy with that and other people are happy as well and other people are happy that i'm not on social media all the time other people are happy that they can't phone me when they want other people are happy and it's, it's taken me about five years to get that to that point so if you are engulfed in it because you are middle management whatever it's it's almost impossible, isn't it, really, to break free? Because even if you want to do it, you've got the peer pressure of everybody else wanting to get you at every moment of the day just because they're involved in it as well. Well, I, I think, you know, I'm not saying this is a complete solution, but it's something you can't become defeated by it. You have to find a way. There is always a way. Uh, I mean, the, the, the direction that I would point people if, if they're not yet aware of it, is is to uh, Tim Ferriss and the four-hour work week. I mean, I, I think one of the things that, that I've learned as you get older is I don't need to keep adding more. I don't need more and more technology. I don't need more and more ways to get hold of people. I don't need all these additional things. I don't need TV. I don't need all these extra stimuli. What I need is to simplify and and to, to just take things out of my life, take the distractions out of my life and just stick to the things that I love. I mean, it leaves so much time for what you enjoy. You know, some people may think, wow, you know, Ian Maxie Jackson, what, he, he walks in nature for two or three hours a day. How the hell can he do that? Well, I don't spend two or three hours watching TV, you know. So if you simplify your life and just there's a concept called the big rocks theory, which is where you put the big rocks in place first. What are the things that you want to do? You know, I want to go on cycle rides. I want to spend time in nature. I want to connect authentically with people that I love. You know, I want to read. I want to work on the projects that I want to. So I factor those in first. Now, if there's any time left after all that for all the erroneous things, you know, the, the crazy things that people do, then all well and good, I'll do them. But I, I factor in the big things first. And I think a lot of people just spend time on the small thing small stuff small stuff looking at their watch <laughs> watching tv and, and all the other distractions that we allow ourselves and the big things just never happen because they haven't left any space for them let's play the words of steve jobs it's the theme of the show and i've been grappling whether i'm going to play these um because it hasn't really fitted into our normal conversation that we have on um join up darts but i'm fascinated to get your point of view on these words. So this is Steve Jobs. Of course, it was impossible to connect the dots looking forward when I was in college, but it was very, very clear looking backwards 10 years later. Again, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. You have to trust in something, your gut, destiny, life, karma, whatever, because believing that the dots will connect down the road will give you the confidence to follow your heart even when it leads you off the well-worn path and that will make all the difference. 
Now, I'm going to ask you a different question, but do you think that if more people believe those words, more people would take a chance on getting that dream life that we're talking about? Quite, quite possibly. I, I think that um, one of the fears that people have is that things aren't going to work out. Um, as it almost as if, you know, well, the question is, is, is it all predestined or is it not predestined? You know, am I going to be one of the lucky ones or am I not? Now, I, I have a, uh, I like what he says, uh, Steve Jobs says, I, I have my own take on it. And, and here's my take. I don't necessarily believe that everything happens for a reason. I know some people do, and I, I respect that view. But here's what I do believe. I do believe that you can find a reason for everything that happens. And I, and, and I think that's just as valid and just as worthwhile. You know, there's going to be twists and turns. There's going to be unexpected things. What you do is you take what you're presented with and, and you think, okay, that's happened now. Whether it was a challenge, whether it was something you perceive as negative, whatever it is, it's like, it's happened now. Uh, and, and, and I'm going to, and I'm going to create a reason from it, for it. Um, uh, uh, another guy uh, that you interviewed recently, uh, trying to remember his name, Richard. Richard is McCann, isn't it? Oh, Richard McCann. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody would wish that on anybody, would wish his story on anybody. Um, you know, for, for any listener that doesn't know, Richard is he's actually somebody that I write, write about in the book, uh, who had the most traumatic childhood. Uh, you know, his mother was a prostitute that was killed by a serial killer. Now, was that destiny? Was that fate? Who knows? But what is so amazing about Richard is that he took what had happened in his life and he, he, he found a way to use it for, for the good. He found a reason that these things had happened to him. He joined up his dots. So maybe not everything happens for a reason, but certainly you can find a way to use it. Whatever happens to you, you can find a way to use it for the good. So you would go by the no experiences wasted? You can use all experiences in it and, and, and use it to... The, the best way to use a negative experience for the good or have an experience and not be wasted is to take the learning from that experience and use it to help other people. I mean, there's so many things that happen to people you wouldn't wish on anybody, on your worst enemy, but people that have lived through those experiences, they take a learning from it and it only becomes truly valuable when they share that learning with other people and allow, and allow change to happen as a result of that learning. So, so, I mean, my f- so, so, so when you look back on your life and you mm. are where you are now, can yeah. you connect your dots or is it the case that you're, as you're saying, your mind is making the connections or is it sort of leaps of faith, stumbles and falls that have led you to this path? Has it been a conscious progression that you've made to where you are the author and you're on this show? Um. I don't think, no, I don't think it was fully conscious. I think, I think if I'm really honest, I think it, it was more the kind of stumble and fall. Um, but I, I believe, and I talk about in the book that, that there's two hemispheres in the, in the brain, the left and the right hemisphere, which are often v- very misunderstood. But one of the things that we do primarily through the, the left side of the brain is that we create a narrative of our life. We create a story. You know, most people, we, we, love, we love stories. We love storytellers. Why? Because that's what we do as human beings. We create a story around our life. So what I do is, 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 is yes, by joining the dots, uh, but what, what I'm very aware of is that, that, that it is a story that I've created. 
But that's my choice. I choose to be now, more so in the last few years of my life, I want to be the director of the story of my life rather than a bit part actor within it. You know, so it's like, okay, here's the story. Here's, here's the story that I want to tell from my life. Here's the message that I want from my life because I, I believe that's a big part of what we do. And I'll take the experiences and I'll take the story as I see it and I'm going to direct that story and, and, and project it into the future into a way that suits me, serves me best and, 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 and adds value to other people. That's brilliant. You, you, you've written the title of today's show, The Director of His Own Life, because that, that's really what we want from everyone, isn't it? That they've taken that responsibility. They, they've realised that they're only on this planet once. And yes. unless they make these decisions to direct their own movie, they are just going to have a walk-on part on somebody else's film. And who wants that? You, why, why can't you get your own towel out there? I, I think that's brilliant. Thank you. Thank you, David. I mean, I have a, a, a lady who I consider very much uh, one of my key mentors at the moment, and she expresses it like this. She says, you're either one of two things. You're either the cause or you're the effect. You're the cause of what's happening or you're the effect. Now, when you were working insurance and, and the hat didn't fit and you didn't feel like you were in the right place, you were at the effect. It was like, well, I've got to go in there and whatever happens, I accept it. Now you're the cause. Now you're the creator. You're the director. You, whatever happens, you cause it to happen. And there's so much power and there's so much energy in that compared to just being at the effect of everything that's happening around you. So, so where is your movie going to go now? You, you, you've got the director's cut and you're working towards episode three of Ian Maxey and the Temple of Doom or whatever it could be. That, that would be quite a good one. Um, what, what are you aiming for in your life? You, you're a mind coach, you're an author, you're a public speaker, you create um, positive environments for everyone that comes into your life and you've certainly done that on the show today. So as you're sitting here, where are you planning to go? Well, I, I believe now in keeping, as I said slightly earlier in the conversation, keeping things simple. So rather than having a uh, hundred different things happen in my lifetime, uh, I actually believe, and, and I know from, from, from the storytelling in, in movies, that the whole idea of a, of a movie, or, or, or certainly a lot of Hollywood movies, is when you leave, the idea is that you get a message, an elixir. You know that you're taking through this journey, and at the end of it, there's, there's, there's something that's left with you. You know that, that the, the person that had nothing can make good. Or there's some message that comes out of it. So my goal now going forward for the next 20, 30, 40 years, however many years it is, is just at the end of my life, there's, there's two things that I want to do. Um, I want to have a very clear message that I send out to the world. And, and I want to be an example for that message. And that's it. And that's how I want the story to, to pan out. And uh, my message... This is not the complete message, but it, it's, it's the, it's the uh, seed of the message is you're not your mind. You don't have to be your mind. And you're not your story. And you are the director of your life. Let's send you back in time now and pass a message to your younger self. If you could get the young Ian Jackson before the maxi part come in, what advice would you give them? And, and what age, Ian, would you want to speak to? So this is the part of the show that we call the Sermon on the Mic, and I'm going to play the theme music, and you're going to be transported back in time. This is the Sermon on the Mic. Ooh, wow. 
With the best beat of the show The sermon on the mic The sermon on the mic Don't miss anything, Ian. If you have an opportunity, take it. What's the worst that can happen? Just go for it. I'm talking to the adolescent Ian, the 14-year-old, the one who's a little bit scared now, a little bit frightened. Take the opportunities. What have you got to lose? Explore. Be curious. See what's out there. Don't just focus on the big stuff. It's not about the outcome, about the big victories. Enjoy the little moments. Take time to stop and smell the roses. Just get fascinated by the little things in life, the little details. Learn to meditate. Don't have your mind just whirl away and just keep you trapped. Take time. Take time out. Become aware of what, how you're thinking and what you're thinking. Don't be afraid of failure. Embrace failure. It's a part of life. It's okay to fail. It's okay to muck up. It happens to everybody. Take time to help others. You may not know it now, but helping others is, is really a big part of what you're here for. And it feels so much better than trying to self serve yourself. Don't always think that the answer is over there, that it's that the, the best times are two years ahead or three years ahead and you've just got to get past what's right in front of you now. Life is what's two inches in front of your face. Enjoy what's here now, here and now, and stop worrying about what's going to happen two years from now, three years from now, ten years from now. You're, you're absolutely wonderful just as you are. Stop all this, I'm not good enough. I need to be something else. If only I was like her, if only I was like him. You're wonderful as you are. You're not perfect, you're imperfect, and that's okay. But believe me, you're not broken. If you're imperfect, you can always work at being better than you are. But don't ever believe that you're broken. And you're not inadequate. There's no such thing. You have a role to play, you have your life. Make the best of it. It's not, up for, it's not up to somebody else to decide whether you're adequate or inadequate. Just know your self-worth and live into your life. And don't expect things always to be fair. That's not how life is. You know, sometimes things seem unfair on the, out, on the surface, but really you'll enjoy those experiences ultimately. You'll certainly learn from them. And it's your life, and you get to choose exactly what you want to do with it. Ian, how can our audience connect with you, sir? Uh, the easiest way, uh, my preferable way, would probably be for them to go to the Facebook page, uh, which is uh, Facebook uh, Escape the Mind Trap dot com, or they can go to the the website Escape the Mind Trap dot com. They're also completely at liberty to uh, friend me on Facebook, Ian Maxie Jackson. Uh, follow me on Twitter again, Ian Maxie Jackson. And if they go through any of those routes, they'll, they'll find me soon enough. Ian, thank you so much for spending time with us today, joining up those dots. And please come back again when you have more dots to join up, because I do believe that by joining up those dots and connecting our past is the best way to build our futures. Ian Maxie Jackson, thank you so much. Thank you, David. David doesn't want you to become a faded version of the brilliant self you were. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Join Up Dots, brought to you exclusively by podcastersmastery.com, the only resource that shows you how to create a show, build an income, 
and still have time for the life that you love. Check out podcastersmastery.com now. David doesn't want you to become a faded version of the brilliant self you were once to become. So he's put together an amazing guide for you called the eight pieces of advice that every successful entrepreneur practices, including the two that changed his life. Head over to joinupdots.com to download this amazing guide for free. And we'll see you tomorrow on Join Up Dots.